and now it's time to talk to two of our storytellers tonight. With me here in the studio are Sharon Rhodes and David Frainer. Welcome to the interview segment. And this is the only interview segment where we actually give you instructions as we interview. <laughs> like, no, I just I just offer all my guests, you don't have to wear the headphones if you don't want to. Um, it's just, I've got mine on. It's just a little technical education for those folks at home to make sure that I'm hearing everything um, going out on the air. Um, welcome. Welcome, Sharon. Welcome, David. Glad to be here. Thank you. All right. And uh, I, we usually like to start off by asking each of our storytellers to tell us a little bit about yourself. Sharon. I'm Sharon Rhodes. I live up the street. Uh, this is my neighborhood. Um, Portsmouth, West Portsmouth. End. Yeah, West End, Portsmouth, West End. Um, I work for the city of Portsmouth in senior services. I have a grandson, Jacob. Um, I've done a couple of stories here. I'm a cancer survivor and a widow. And great. I don't know. All right, that's well, well. I have a ref. Well, we're going to learn more in the next 20 minutes or so. David, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? I live with my wife, Lisa Rodermick, in Greenland, New Hampshire. She's a licensed acupuncturist, and we have a wellness center, Dental Currents Wellness Center. I'm a retired Unitarian Universalist minister, and that's part of the story I'll be telling tonight. I'm currently uh, finishing up a stint as co-chair of the Portsmouth Poet Laureate Program, and uh, in my retirement, I volunteer as the co-MC of the monthly Portsmouth Poetry Hoop. Yeah. Otherwise than that, I'm not busy. You're going to have to go back to work to slow down. That's where I've seen you. I've been there with my uh, brother and my sister. That's where I've oh, seen good, good, good. you. I knew yes. I knew you. It's yeah. a small world. You know, in the Seacoast area, there's only a degree and a half of separation. Yeah. Not, not, not six if degrees. If that much. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I knew it. Yeah, well, now that we've we've started off talking about, you know, your involvement with poetry, and now we know that you both have um, been to the Poetry Hoot, do you want to tell us a little bit more about your work with um, the Poet Laureate Program? And, yeah, and then we want to talk a little bit more about poetries and stories. And Indeed. So uh, I've been co-chair with Sue Kaufman for a number of years um, of the Portsmouth Poet Laureate Program Board. And the Portsmouth Poet Laureate Program is a program that selects a Portsmouth Poet Laureate for a two-year stint. And during that time, the Poet Laureate, working with the board, comes up with a project, sometimes two, to help build community through poetry. That's our mission, to build community through poetry. And we are, uh, Kate Lee is our current 10th Poet Laureate. We've had nine before her. And she's been working very hard this year um, to encourage children and young people to engage in poetry, trying to kind of encourage the next generation working through local school systems. She has an after-school program at the public library and is starting a program with poets at the 3S Art Space in the afternoons. So she's doing some very interesting work. And uh, the fun thing about this program no two laureates are alike by any means. The approach that they take is very different. And the board does not select the poet laureate, which is a little bit unusual because most people like to be in control and have power. The board selects a seven-person committee, person committee, and they select the poet laureate. And then the board works with the poet laureate. So we're very careful about selecting the committee, um, but we don't control the decision that 
committee makes. They decide how they're going to make that decision. They receive a packet of materials from anybody who wants to be considered. You can self-nominate. Other people can nominate you. And they look over the materials. There's not even an interview. And they choose one person. And that's the Poet Laureate for the next two years. They're introduced at the, an April board meeting, um, April meeting of the City Council in Portland, Portsmouth, and away we go. All right, yeah. And Sharon, you are a fan of poetry. Um, I am. My brother's a poet and my sister. And I once, um, I don't know what you call it, plagiarized a poem. It was going to be a story I was going to do here about um, plagiarizing a poem of my sister's that kind of took on a life of its own. And I didn't tell her I plagiarized it because um, <laughs> it was kind of like I didn't look at it that way at the time. But a person who I worked with had passed away and everybody was very sad. My sister had written a really nice poem about her brother-in-law who had passed away. And I kind of stole it. <laughs> I stole it. And I just interchanged one name for another. And then the director of the place I worked at the time was like, this is a great poem. I, I think we should um, have you read it at her funeral. And I'm like, ooh. So I was like, um, I, well, okay. And then this director of this place I worked um, had it put on a plaque at the Portsmouth Pavilion. So at this point, I thought, I better tell my sister so I didn't think I was going to get to tell this story because of what's happening. But um, so I, I was scared to tell my sister. I was like, oh, this kind of gets ran away. And uh, I said, I got to tell you something, Vicki. I said, I, um, I did this thing. And then I told her. And she, she looked at me and she went, she's my older sister. So, you know, I was, you know, she's the boss. Here she comes went, the lecture. <laughs> she said, well, <laughs> poems, funerals, and plagiarism. So that was going to be my story. This was years ago this happened, but that was going to be another one of my stories. So I just got to tell it. There you go. Hey, Vicki. Love you. <laughs> yeah, and um, I don't know if you know, but uh, or if you've read in the bio, but I've actually heard David do um, Child's Christmas in Wales, the, the poem that he recites from memory. Um, that's poetry that is a story unto itself. Um is that what attracted you to the poem? Or can you tell us a little bit about how you came to memorize that poem? And <clears throat> Well, just to be clear, I'm sort of an old school poetry geek type guy. I really enjoy narrative poetry. So I confess that there are aspects of contemporary poetry and poetry slams that I don't really get. So <laughs> I guess this is true confessions radio. <laughs> <laughs> So, it is now. <laughs> it is now. We're, we're on the record, Sharon. So uh, years ago, my parents had a chance to go. We lived outside of New York City, and they had a chance to hear Dylan Thomas recite A Child's Christmas in Wales, and they had a, a vinyl record of it. Some of you may remember vinyl records. And they brought it home, and every year at Christmas, they would play this record that had A Child's Christmas in Wales on it. And I hated it. Because I couldn't understand the accent, the Welsh accent, and I didn't get his constructions. But I wanted, you know, like Frosty the Snowman. And they played it every year when I was growing up, year after year after year. And by the time I got into my teens, I began to understand it. And time passed, and I <clears throat> decided uh, later on in life, um, while I was commuting to an interim ministry that I was serving in Hudson, Massachusetts, to commit the poem to memory. It's a prose poem. It's presented as a story. But if you pay attention to the poem and the way that Dylan Thomas constructs it, it's really poetry. It's a narrative poem. And it's tricky because he 
he changed voices and changes points of view in the middle of the poem and you have to sort it out. So I figured out a way to do the poem in five acts or sort of four and a half acts with a little division between them. And um, yeah, so over the course of two years, I had some people remember this cassette tape recorders in my car. <laughs> and I plugged in this cassette tape recorder of Dylan Thomas saying a child in Christmas Wales. And then he'd say it and I'd repeat it back and he'd say it. And for, I did that for two years and bingo, bango, bongo. Now it's memorized. So I really love narrative poetry, which that's an example of. Right. Did Which came first? Um, love of narrative poetry or storytelling or is it something that kind of went hand in hand i think they go hand in hand i mean the thing that draws me to poetry and is the thing that draws me to storytelling it's the narrative i think i the poetry that i especially appreciate is narrative poetry because it is a kind of it's a special kind of storytelling which requires a special kind of listening and in both cases, in storytelling and narrative poetry, there's a way in which the storytelling, I think, engages people in their largest dimension, so to say, that, that builds connections between people who otherwise might never know one another. And, and in that sense, helps to create community. And that's also the goal of the Portsmouth Poet Laureate Program, to build community through poetry. So I think that when we tell stories, we activate parts of ourselves, that the narr narrative activates a part of ourselves that helps us be broader, wider, more expansive people and connects us to people through what are really universal experiences that we otherwise might never know or meet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah. Sharon, have you... <laughs> yes. I don't interrupt. Talk no. about life. No, it's, it's great. Like, have, have stories always been part of your life? Um, we like to ask people, can you like remember a favorite story as a child? Or were they part of your family? Do you know, really... Um, oh, of course, always stories, you know, but I found telling a story here when I saw it, when this program was first advertised. Um, my husband had recently died. I had had cancer afterwards, and I was looking, looking everywhere for something to sustain me. And I was looking in, um, I read everything. I, I'm a big reader, really, and I didn't tell stories until this show. The first one, I saw the write-up about it. I called John. And I have to tell you, if I had emailed, I wouldn't have never had the courage to tell this the story that I told. And John talked to me on the phone like I'm sure he talks to everyone. He's just so open, and he encouraged me to do it. And that's when I started telling the story. I was probably starting backwards with the most recent thing that had happened to me to tell a story about it. And then, right, you know, does that make sense? Right. Stories. So it was, in a way, it was therapeutic? It was almost? very therapeutic. I have to say it was like, and John can relate to this, I'm sure, um, having had cancer himself, it was, to me, this program was like an infusion. And when you have chemotherapy, sometimes you have to go in to get what's called an infusion. It's, it's fluids, and it's to help you feel better while they're poisoning you. And... I found this to be an infusion. And I would come here sometimes and not tell a story and just listen to all the stories, and they were all infusion. I would always leave feeling better. Right, right. And now you have, you've mentioned your grandmother, you have grandson 
Jacob. My grandson, Jacob. My oldest daughter, Erica's son. He was born three months before my husband passed away. So Jacob has been a very big part of my life. He, Jacob is an infusion. Mm-hmm. He's a very right. and potent infusion. Yes, now that you've become a storyteller, telling stories to Jacob. He tells me stories. <laughs> Jacob tells me he's five. Okay, I so teach him songs. But, you know, every now and then I can get a word in edgewise. I'll teach him a little song. That's what I teach him. And songs are stories, too. Poems are stories. Right, songs right, are right, stories. Right, yes. So I teach him. I haven't really told him any stories. Right. Oh, but he's giving you plenty of material sure. for later on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, David. Um, yes. We know. You know. We check out the biographies of our the folks coming in, um, and we know that um, you and your wife founded Gentle Currents Wellness Center in Greenland. Um, tell us a little bit about that, and you know, share any thoughts on. Do you think telling or listening to stories can actually affect people's wellness? Oh, there's no question in my mind about that. <clears throat> Just follow up. Yeah. So, and yeah. So what Sharon was saying, another form of wellness. Um, yeah, it's sort of interesting. Um, when my wife became an acupuncturist, when she's sort of the anchor tenant of General Currents Wellness Center, General Currents Acupuncture Clinic, when she became an acupuncturist, it was actually, John, it was illegal to perform acupuncture in the state of New Hampshire, not just unlicensed, but illegal. So she had to practice in, and anybody who graduated uh, from acupuncture school had to practice in Maine or Massachusetts or Vermont, somewhere outside of the state. Um, and then working with uh, state legislators, a group of people uh, got legislation passed that allowed it to be licensed in the state of New Hampshire. So right away, we started looking for a place to rent for her to have her space because she was located in Maine at the time in, in Kittery. And we couldn't find anything. We looked and looked enough. And finally, two different people, entirely different people who didn't know each other from Adam, both said to us about the same time, you know, there's this building for sale in Greenland, which would make a great place to have a wellness center. You should take a look at it. We did, and we fell in love with it, and we finally figured out a way to how to purchase it, and we've been there ever since. We didn't live, we live there uh, now, but initially we lived in a, a separate apartment, and eventually we consolidated and moved there. So we have our residence there, and uh, he, she has her acupuncture practice there. We have a full-time and a part-time massage therapist um, and some folks who do Reiki. So we, we have a variety of practitioners, but she's the lead tenant, as we say. And, and she, she's been practicing for about 20 years, and she's, if I do say so myself, really good at what she does. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's checking out her services, or, you know. <laughs> handle stress and things like right, that. So right. I jotted down, you know, the contact information. Yeah, Gentlecurrents.com. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 very good. Yeah, Sharon, in your biography, you mentioned that um, you're searching for the ultimate studio apartment. Did I? Because I thought I forgot to put that in. <laughs> you, you remembered well, that. I Would you the like pearls. To... The pearls where I, who I rent from are my favorite, but they don't have a studio. I'm, looking, I'm, I'm just looking to get smaller and smaller over the years. Right, that the whole trend to I'm just you know, simplifying, when I got downsizing. Sick, when I lost my husband, I realized you know you don't need a lot, you know, just your keys and a couple bucks in your pocket, and, you know. So I'm looking to even get smaller. Yep, just room for Jacob. Just you know, stay over and. Yeah, he can sleep on the floor. He's good. <laughs> I get him a pillow. <laughs> I know she's not listening. She's in Wisconsin. Well, she could be streaming online. That's possible. Uh, Hi, I love you. Hi, Jacob. <laughs> Grandmommy, your favorite. It's really something real. 
Um, yeah, most a lot of our when our storytellers are um, listening or reading to stories outside of true tales, um, do you find yourself drawn to true life stories, fictional stories? Um, what true interests life, you? True life stories. I like the real stories because yeah. they help heal and they help me learn how to live and understand things. Um, I think Kathy Wolf. I think she's here tonight. Yes, I she is. I think it was Kathy, and she can correct me later. That told about getting rid of her double or queen size bed, and it was a that whole was story. Kathy. Yes, mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Um, we're starting to work again. <laughs> Chemo out, brain cells back in. Uh, yeah, and it was this great story because I was going through the same thing in a different way for a different reason. But it was just like, yeah, it's just the, the connection. You're not alone. You know, you're not. But sometimes you need some proof. I certainly, John, I certainly enjoy, as with, say, Child's Christmas in Wales, telling other people's stories and working to tell them really well. Part of the challenge of memorizing a Child's Christmas in Wales is not simply learning the words, but getting kind of the attitude of the author of Dylan Thomas right so that it, it... it conveys the fundamental meaning that he had in mind. But that's all by way of saying, um, <clears throat> I'm also drawn to first-person true tales radio type stories because I think it's those stories from our hearts that connect, as I was saying earlier, that connect us to one another and create the basis for a wider community. We could use, in this culture right now, a lot more people telling a lot more stories about their personal and intimate lives. Because in our wider culture, it seems to me that all we do is shout at one another. And imagine if instead of doing that, we were telling stories. Right. Yeah. Or we're sending emails to each other and we're imagining inflections and tone and anger that's not there. And yeah, that it's just people don't look into each other's eyes anymore right, or right like um, i said earlier if i had if i hadn't talked to john on the phone that day i would not have ever come and told a story there's no way i wouldn't have done it if it had been an email i would it would have been easy for me to say yeah never mind i, I can't do it I, right. I just can't but having talked to him gotten to know him a little bit i was like i can't let this person down this is their show and i have to show up so and that was really if i had been on i know i wouldn't have done it right because i know that in you know you mentioned like you, one of the things about Jacob that you like is that he's in the moment. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I don't know if people have been to the studio, but I'm at the control panel and I'll be here when the storytelling is going on later on. When I'm back here, I can't see the storytellers. So basically, I'm listening and I'm really in the moment listening like it should be heard. And I find that when I'm it's different than when I'm watching the storyteller. Yeah. It's so, yes. it's such an internal, it's such a empowering experience yes. to just really listen yes. to it. It is. I took a, a class when I was, when I went to UNH and uh, one of it was life story. It was a life story class. And we had to sit with a partner and with our eyes closed and listen to them, tell us something about themselves. And it was really hard for a lot of people to do. But that's just exactly what you're talking about. And you really hear what they're saying. Right. That I want to... You're not distracted. Yes, that I want to be there with your words, Mm -hmm. as opposed to the whole visual experience. 
and the distractions. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, one of the examples I sometimes give about the the kind of contrast you're describing is my experience of Charles Schultz Peanuts characters. Because when I would read the comic books, I would make up their own voices. I knew how Charlie Brown should sound. I knew how Lucy should sound. You know, I knew how Linus should sound. I had all their voices in my own sort of character scheme in my head. And then they came out with a TV show. And that instantly collapsed all the voices into a single voice. Now Charlie Brown was the way it was on TV. And in in radio, you have the opportunity, in a way, by making that kind of connection over the airwaves, so you're hearing the the, uh, the storyteller's voice, but you're interpreting it. You're putting yourself into the story in somewhat the same way, and I think that is just terrific. Yes, and when it's just voice and it's just sound and it's just the radio, it's if you're on the radio, you can be whoever you want to be, and but it's unique and different for every single listener. Yes, absolutely, and, John. Absolutely. And that it's sort of, it's, yeah, that in a way, your stories tonight will be giving a different gift to every single listener. And it won't be, it, yeah, it's, you're telling one story, but you're telling many stories at the same time, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It makes yeah. perfect sense. And yeah. the, lis- the listeners in a f- funky way, funny way, will pass it forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They'll, in- they'll remember it, they'll be inspired, yeah. Before we wrap up tonight, one of the things on your LinkedIn page, David, was um, you were involved in project work with something called the Nano Storytelling Technique for Job Search Success. <laughs> well, it's the word storytelling was in there, so it's like, okay, I'm going to ask about it. What is it? <laughs> storytelling in a job search? <laughs> well, really, I can do that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I became convinced. I I worked uh, with people who are on. Um, TANF, Temporary Aid to Needy Families, for a number of years. And I became convinced over a period of time that part of what you do in a successful interview is you tell a story in a way that's relatable to your interviewer. And if, if you make the connection, you probably get the job. But why wait till the interview? So I encourage people to figure out a way to tell their story in a cover letter that goes along with their resume. So it had to be short and to the point and punchy, but often what people put in cover letters is just forgettable. Any number of employers who I've worked with over the years said to me, I throw the cover letters away. They're meaningful, meaningless. They're not any use. They're just in sentence structure, an absolute regurgitation of what's in the resume already. So I'll just read the resume. So it made sense to me that there needed to be something that I called a nano story in the cover letter, different from the resume that engaged and connected with the interviewer in some way that was relatable. And I tried to teach that to my students and and clients that I work with, with modest success. (laughs) It's a good idea, but I don't think I was always able to be that persuasive. I think partly because um, People sort of knew what they knew, and they had their way of doing interviews, and they weren't about to change, and this whole storytelling idea sort of um, blindsided them. But I thought it was a really good idea, and I built a PowerPoint presentation to teach other uh, uh, people who worked with uh, temporary and needy family clients. Um, those days are gone. I'm retired. <laughs> but it was, it was fun at the time. Awesome. I'll send you a copy, Joe. <laughs> okay. No, it, 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 it was just a very intriguing idea about how to use yep. storytelling in another um, aspect of our lives. Um, storytelling for cover letters to connect to a potential employer. That was mm-hmm. the whole idea. 
Yeah. Well, we've got just a couple minutes left. Um, you know, if you without, you know, giving your story away tonight, um, <laughs> you know, could you tell us um, a little bit about um, what motivated you to tell the story you'll be telling tonight? Like the the teaser, the sneak preview. The sneak preview. The teaser. Well, I was trying to come up with a story for Thanksgiving, the thanks November one, and it was about. And I thought, well, because when I told my first story, and all these stories came out, so I had these little formats of stories I was going to tell for different themes, and I was trying to match the themes. And um, the story that I'm telling tonight, when I saw it was open theme. I was like, oh, okay, this fits. But this title stayed, and it's called Don't Take the Bird Out Till It's Done. It's basically about how my younger brother and I killed my sister's parakeet by accident. Oh, just like you stole the poem by accident. I'm the scapegoat in the family. I'm the second out of six. I am the scapegoat. My therapist and I are working very hard on retiring me from that role. (laughs) Yeah, it seems, yes, you're the the innocent victim in your family so many times. Well, um, you know, well, we won't, well, next. (laughs) Well, no, yes, we'll leave that for your therapist. Yes, that's right. Um. Hi, Wendy. Congratulations on being a grandmommy. Oh, and David, a so little, my story, John, little is teaser. Wed for Life, although it's got a different title in the program. Um, and uh, <clears throat> early on in my ministerial career as a brand new Unitarian Universalist minister, I had the occasion to do the strangest wedding I could possibly imagine, and that's all I'll say. Mm, a okay. very strange wedding <laughs> at oh. a ver- very early part of my career. Okay, well, we want to thank you both for um, being here tonight. Um, We want our listeners to stay tuned for the storytelling because towards the end of the lineup, you'll hear about the dead parakeet and the strange wedding. Sounds like they go together. Sounds like a sequel. Sounds like a sequel. Okay, well, thank you very much for coming. And right now, we're going to get ready to go inside and I um, now bring up Catherine Tucker Wyndham. Wait, as I'll bring up the the Catherine Tucker Wyndham, the legendary storyteller, with our intro for tonight. As soon as they come back in and give me the signal, this is live radio, folks. Here we go with Catherine Tucker Wyndham.